Welcome to the Catholic Gentleman Podcast. We're going to be talking about cutting hair and men's grooming and a lot of other things as we are joined by a Catholic barber right after this. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us with another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We're so grateful that you're here. If you don't already follow us on YouTube or um, follow us on a podcast player of your choice, please do so. We want to keep on bringing this high quality content to you. We're so grateful for the donors that we currently have. If you're inspired, head over to patreon.com slash Catholic Gentleman and check out the different tiers that we have to offer. We're so um, grateful for anything from $5 to $10 a month, uh, $25 or more if, if, uh, if you're inspired. Inspired. So uh, thank you again for our current donors. And uh, if you're interested, please take a look over there. I also want to take a moment and talk about a sponsor and a partner, really, for this episode, Cross Catholic Ministry. So Sam and I are so grateful that uh, they uh, offered to uh, sponsor a couple episodes. Uh, they are We're doing this for Advent. They've got a um, ministry uh, that helps people in third world countries uh, with things like healthcare and food uh, scarcity and water projects and things like that. So there's actually a unique one for the Catholic gentleman, and that's going to be actually um, drilling 15 wells in Kenya in two different Catholic dioceses over there. So there's I'm putting those links in the show note. We'd be grateful for you to check it out and honestly donate anything that you have uh, to help children and families in need over in Kenya. So, all right, diving into this episode, Sam and I are both uh, excited to be joined by Trey Plummer. Trey is a husband, father of three. He's a convert. And he's, as he says, the closest thing to Floyd the Barber from Andy Griffith. Any Andy Griffith fans out there, which I was, um, know exactly what we're talking about there. So he um, owns and operates his one chair barbershop there in a rural town in Arkansas, where um, he has a, uh, is a lifetime residence and a local city council member. He's also, as I kind of was suggesting, he's a former Baptist preacher and he's converted to Catholicism and now he's a barber. And so as Sam was mentioning earlier, he's going to talk to us about grooming and hopefully we'll get to talk about his conversion. So Trey, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me. This is quite a unique pleasure. Uh, not only before the, uh, the conversion experience, I, I used to, to hit the, the blog for the Catholic gentleman, just as a kind of the, a part of the whole discernment process. And then now as a convert, uh, it's a source of encouragement and edification. And so thank you for what you guys do. Well, thank you. Charlie. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, well, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I had no idea. <laughs> um, but did you know that I used to want to be a Baptist preacher and actually interned at a Baptist church and did, did my share of preaching back in the day? Can you believe it? I can believe it. I, I, think, I think you've actually mentioned that in the blog in years past before. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I, I graduated from Bob Jones University uh, High School. Um, they have a high school and then went on to my freshman year there and then I ended up graduating from Maranatha Baptist University. So 
uh, I've got I've got my share of fundamentalist roots. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> well, uh, I actually became a barber just to have a way to you know support myself as a Baptist minister. Wow. So, oh, yeah. And then life happened, right? So yes, here we are. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I look forward to hearing more about your your conversion story. Um, but uh, you're 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 saying you're a barber, but you're a plumber. Like, can you can you clarify that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was, that was <laughs> I get all the time. Okay, no, I want to hear. I want to hear your life as a Baptist preacher. So um, let's start from the beginning, uh, Trey. Tell us about. What inspired you to uh, obviously to become um, a Protestant preacher, and uh, then well, I'm, I know we're going to want to hear your conversion story. We love hearing yeah. those, so please. Yeah, well, I, are you familiar with Jaber Crow, the Wendell Berry book? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, if you'll remember, there's a part in that book where he he talks about receiving the call, right? And it, as a Baptist, former Baptist, Sam, you know what I'm talking about with that. I, I was. <laughs> late high school and we had a pretty emotional service and there was this this leading this prompting uh during that moment where i felt like god wants me to do something what is that you know and i, and, and I think that we all have that but just trying to, to put flesh on that that idea uh that's that's kind of what that turns into for a lot of guys in my position anyway so um I went to my pastor. I went down uh, during the, the the welcome or the altar call, as we call it, and I told him I, I had received the call. And uh, he said, okay, brother, and I think I preached like the next week. Wow. <laughs> Didn't waste any time. No. No, and I think I was like 17 or 18 at the time, too. The area is, is primarily Baptist, Methodist, some of those uh, older Protestant traditions. And, and uh, there's a shortage of ministers. And so I think that people were just kind of excited that somebody was, you know, feeling the call or showing interest or whatever you want to call that. And uh, I, I remember early on, I was kind of naive as to, to what that was going to look like but uh ended up preaching in not only baptist churches but methodist churches assemblies of god churches uh free will baptist churches so when you're a, a small town person you just end up wearing a lot of different hats so that's that's kind of how that got started how long did that go how long were you preaching for you said you started so when you were like 17 or 18 yeah and, and yeah, so I got I got married and um, uh, I got married like three weeks after I graduated from high school to my high school wow. sweetheart, wow. and uh, we just celebrated our fifteenth wedding anniversary uh, this past July or past June. Sorry, she'll love that whenever she uh, listens <laughs> to this. But uh, so uh, right after high school, though, I went to college, did that whole thing, and and I was actually a Spanish major. I was going to learn Spanish and be a missionary and probably go convert a bunch of Catholics in South Texas. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what I had in mind, but um, uh, about 11 months after we got married, we had our first child. 
and was like, okay, well now I've got to figure out how to feed everybody. So I went uh, to Barber College. I that was back before the internet was really, you know, we didn't carry it around in our pocket or anything. And uh, I'll, I'll get to how I got to the barber thing here in a second. But I, I flipped open the yellow pages and there was a barber college, and so I called and I started. I started at the first of the year. I, I finished up my last semester of, of college then and, and just started in January the next year. And uh, yeah, I've been going for about 14 years now. Wow. I, I guess I didn't need to circle back around to the, um, to the ministry thing. So, so during all of that, as I was in Barber College and doing all that stuff, uh, I actually pastored a church for about a year a little Southern Baptist church here in town. And before that, and then after that, I was what they call a supply preacher. So anytime a, a preacher would go on vacation or something, they could call the association and I was on the short list, right? So I got to travel around to all these different places and I did that for about 10 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I think a lot of Catholics don't understand kind of the, yeah uh idea of being a preacher uh they might be vaguely familiar with it but uh, but um could you share a little bit about how kind of important that is and what that looks like in a protestant context because you know you're used to some people might be used to kind of the 10 minute homily kind of thing uh at their at the catholic mass uh and may not understand what a protestant service is even like right well in the baptist side Preaching is almost sacramental to Protestants, right? So there's there's basically two elements to a Protestant service. You have the, the worship service, which is your music, and then you have the preaching service, which, you know, and it's pretty well expected that you get a 30-minute sermon. And um, I remember actually kind of going from Baptist church to Methodist church to, you know, some of the different coming from a Baptist background, I didn't preach long enough for my charismatic friends and I preached way too long for the Methodists. They, the Methodist structure is more like Catholics as far as like a 15 minute homily. I actually remember one time I preached at a, at a Methodist church and I was going to be there the next Sunday. And I was met by one of their, their elderly parishioners at the door when they were going out. And he said, that was a beautiful sermon, but you could have broke it in half and used the rest of it next week. And we would have never known the difference. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That great. Yeah. You know, I've been to, it was actually a Presbyterian church um, where the, the very learned uh, pastor preached for an hour and 45 minutes. I'm not exaggerating. Um but that's actually a very good way of putting it. It is kind of like a sacrament or a sacramental to, to the Protestant. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then what inspired you to Catholicism? You know, I mean, it seems this is not uh, somebody who, you know, was Protestant in high school, then went to college, married a Catholic and converted, which is, you know, wonderful. Praise God. But you know, you actually being a pastor on the short list, you know, um, to becoming Catholic, uh, what, what were some of the inspirations? What were some of the, the movements, um, you know, and, and what uh, overflowing testimony do you want to give for the Catholic Gentleman's blog? No, I'm joking. Uh, I'll, I'll play just as I am, um, as, you, as you should. <laughs> 
so my wife came from a uh, Assemblies of God, which is more of a charismatic background. Mm. So we were both kind of misfits in that. Mm. And our entire marriage has kind of been trying to figure out, you know, what faith and practice looks like in in our married life and for our family. And we're a homeschooling family, too. And so, you know, what does does that look like? So I think there's been this constant um, uh, not testing the waters, but but testing our faith, right, to, to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. And um, we did visit a lot of different churches. And I'm not going to say that I was really like theologically confused, but I was familiar with um, the theology that that the Methodist adhered to and the Baptist and, as you said, like Presbyterian and some of that. So I've always kind of had this question, like, where do I belong at, right? And I, I was always kind of friendly with Catholicism, even from an early, earlier time. I, I was always, I love St. Francis. I remember watching Brother, Son, and Sister Moon when I was in high school, the old 70s movie, and thinking, I want to be this guy when I grow up, right? Just wander the, the fields and, and love animals. That sounds like a great life. But um, <laughs> I, had a friend, I had a friend that converted to Catholicism when he was in college and I was still in high school at the time and we, we had a sit down and he kind of explained to me some of the more, you know, um, points of contention between Protestants and Catholics. And, and so I at least had like a healthy respect. I thought, well, they're still wrong and they're weird, but I know that they love Jesus and that's the most, mm. important, right. And so coming from there, instead of like this anti-Catholic position, was probably a lot easier transition than it is for a lot of people. Um, but I think that for my wife and I both, um, tradition and a lack of reverence and just some of the movements in Protestantism that we've kind of witnessed over the past, you know, couple decades, uh, just really, and, and, and the Catholic Church right now, we're seeing these liturgy wars and stuff too so you're not going to get insulated from it but um i know on the protestant side we we just kind of watched this uh mega church mentality kind of like filter down into all of these smaller um iterations of that so it was kind of alarming in a way to to see how the the curriculum was watered down, and I mean, there, there's really kind of a, a loss of of their place as well. And I'm not I'm not picking on them because I, I am thankful for my Protestant upbringing. I, I I don't think that I would love Scripture the way that I do if I hadn't had that background. But um, I I just was thinking I used to be a Sunday school teacher too, and I remember from one year to the next, the curriculum changed where I was teaching about really deep, I mean, digestible theological things, right, that, that you could talk about with lay people. And we went from that to more of like this, like pop culture kind of teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was really alarming, like, like, I can't, I, and it, I noticed it in preaching too. I couldn't, I couldn't go into a, a church where uh, 
I was talking to people that were all on the same page. So in a lot of ways, I felt like the Protestants had kind of lost um, some of that scriptural basis that used to be such a, a foundation for, mm-hmm. for that tradition. And so I, I just kind of read my way into the Catholic church from then. I know that's kind of a long way around, but kind of had to, to think by talking. So I hope that makes sense. Oh, it does. And, and I, I guess I'm wondering, could you share too about your experience making that transition? Was it, was it culture shock for you? Um, and then I'm wondering too, could, could you, could you share some of the things that, that you are grateful for kind of about your, your Protestant background and, and maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. So um, the first mass that we attended was the first Sunday in January of 2020. Uh, so we, we've, we've not been converts for long, but it, it was a much longer process. And you can kind of, we can see the steps now better than we could, you know, now the further we are past conversion for mm. sure. Um, but the first, the first time I ever walked into our little parish, um, man, the statues freaked me out. Um, <laughs> me, everything freaked me out. Right? I was just, your your Protestant sensibilities are like everything's causing an alarm. But in the middle yeah. of that, there was this beauty that I was not used to. And yeah. in in a lot of ways, you could probably say that. Um, my little parish is kind of a strange, I mean, there's so many influences, right? And it's so small. Um, and we're such a mixed community of different cultural backgrounds and stuff. Um, and we're COVID Catholics too. Like we've, we've only really ever experienced the mass and that, wow. and, you know, so that's, that's kind of different too, but, but just the Eucharist, man. I, I mean, the first time I, I watched that, I knew something, something different is going on here. And mm. it, it was beautiful and I had to know more about it. And so I had to dive into the church fathers and uh, just kick the tires. Right. But when you talked about the Protestant background and some of the things I'm thankful for, um, there's a lot of Catholics that I've, I've met or talked to, and they're, they're familiar with the third secret of Fatima, but they don't know the Ten Commandments or uh, they don't know you know, just little things like that. So there's, there, um, and I'm not trying to stereotype or anything. No, but, no, it's good though. That's yeah. true. <laughs> but yeah. a script, a scriptural background is not as much of the, the culture and the tradition but for the Catholics that I've known as it was growing up in, in the Baptist tradition, like everything in a, in a Baptist church is, is couched with, right. And that's sola scriptura. The, the Bible says, right, scripture yeah. teaches us by the authority of this. But, you know, there's 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 that to deal with, too. And that was that was difficult, too, coming from a Protestant background is, mm-hmm. no, we don't just have scripture as the authority. We have this magisterium. Right. And and that immediately made sense to me. And this kind of goes back into the other uh, kind of how I got here. I had friends of all these different traditions and we're always jockeying for this kind of theological high ground. You know, like, what does this passage mean? And, you know, it's kind of like you get your points in, like, like who knows the Bible the best. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. 
it's been, so you know what I'm talking about, but it's been, it's been really refreshing that I don't have to have all that figured out. There's a magisterium of the church, right? There's a definitive, this is how it is. And so in a lot of ways that that's very comforting. So now it's kind of like you're in a fence and there's freedom in the fence. Just stay in the fence. So, Well, I just love hearing you kind of testify (laughs) about the beauty of the Eucharist, because as Protestants, anyone who knows Protestant background or the kind of the cultural ethos of Protestantism, it is, it is like this veneration of the word, the Bible, like God's word is everything to Protestants. But what I love about being Catholic is the word has become flesh that we can intimately, you know, participate in, in communion. And the, a lot of people aren't familiar with this passage, but I think correct me if I'm wrong, uh, brother preacher, but uh, the thing is the book of Ezekiel, you know, and uh, there's the angel comes to the prophet Ezekiel. I think it is. And he brings a scroll with them and he tells them to eat the scroll. It's kind of a yeah. weird vision that he has yeah. and he does. And it shows that like that word, he's assimilating it. He's taking it inside and it's becoming part of him. And it's like a picture of the Eucharist that is to come in the, you know, yes, you can, the scripture is absolutely hundred percent valuable, but you can eat the word as a Catholic. You can consume it. You can make it a part of who you are in the most literal way uh, and, and achieve that, that communion with Christ. And that is probably the most beautiful thing about being Catholic. Yeah, I completely agree. And if I could just add, I was reading St. Jose Maria Escriva um, recently, and he talked about how, you know, we must love the mass and love the Eucharist. And then he, because he knows he's talking to men, he says, struggle with it, right? He talks about struggle with it until your life revolves around the Eucharist and you are preparing yourself until you can receive the Eucharist again, you know? And so we yeah. go from mass to mass. And I just, um, I completely agree. And a lot of our listeners uh, maybe wrestle with that, you know, maybe your, your um, priest doesn't really give great homilies. Maybe your church isn't a cathedral that has beautiful stained glass and beautiful, you know, or an amazing choir, you know, things like this. Um, but we are called to still struggle with it because the point of being there is the Eucharist. And so I, I really appreciate you, you mentioning that. And I'm curious because you mentioned what would technically be a physical stumbling block, not just a metaphorical one with statues. What other ones did you have as uh, struggles or things that you had to work through? You know, uh, we hear Marian devotion, we hear authority, we hear these different things, but what about you? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, D, all of the above, probably. <laughs> so I had five big reasons that I, I, I we came home after that first mass, and I had, we were both kind of like trying to digest it for, I don't know, probably two or three days. Like, what just happened? What did we, what, what was that, right? And um, before the next Sunday rolled around. I was like, I'm not going back. I can, all of my dead ancestors are going to come out of the grave and get me. (laughs) Um, I'm dishonoring my family, uh, you know, all this different stuff. Um, But a big one was the Eucharist. 
it, although it was beautiful and I knew something was happening, like this is an act of worship. I know I, we're not worshiping the statues. You can figure that out pretty quick, but we're absolutely worshiping the physical presence of Christ in the Eucharist, right? Everybody's down on their knees. There's bells ringing. Hey, look up here. Something's happening, right? And from a Protestant background, I mean, you read, what is it? Mark chapter six, where you have no part of me if you don't eat me, right? And we're so literal on so many things, um, but we we just gloss over some of the things that we don't want to pay attention to. And so I really had to wrestle with that. But aside from, from that, and that was probably the first thing that I changed my mind on, and then everything else after that kind of followed. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, papal infallibility, of course, that the idea of a pope didn't bother me. Because whatever the Southern Baptists want to say, we have a Southern Baptist convention, and it is a hierarchical structure, right? The, each church is supposedly autonomous, but why is there a president of this convention, right? It looks like right. autonomous autonomous members coming together for a purpose. Well, why do we need a president? There's a leader, and there's a structure. That's just the way that that things happen naturally. Yeah. So the Pope didn't bother me. The idea of having a leader didn't bother me. But papal infallibility bothered me for quite a while until I understood that, you know, unless he's speaking on issues of faith or morality. And then it comes down to kind of a faith issue, kind of like infallibility of the church. He's the head of the church. The church is infallible. It kind of all logically flows together. So there's that faith and reason thing, too. Um, uh, Mary and devotion, but really the whole understanding of the communion of the saints. I, I 100% agreed with, you know, we would recite the creed, uh, the apostles creed in Methodist services. So we would get to the communion of the saints and I always thought, you know, um, the great cloud of witnesses that the book of Hebrews talks about. I thought, yeah, we're all part of the body of Christ. You know, that made sense, but this whole idea of, intercessory prayer and some of that stuff was kind of like, all right, guys, you got to help me with this one. <laughs> so there was that. Let's see what a few more were. Oh yeah. Um, confession to a priest, you know, that one probably hang up for every Protestant. And then um, baptismal regeneration because I was a Baptist, right? Mm. So believers right. baptism was, you know, obviously something that I adhered to for many years. So um, those were the five big ones for me. And like I said, the the hinge on all of that was the Eucharist. Because yeah. it was like, well, if if the church is right on this thing, then what might what else might she be right on? Right. Yep. yep. Wow. What an incredible journey. Um uh, and and welcome home home to the yeah, Catholic Church. It is just uh, a gift and i think too as catholics we sometimes uh get, get so comfortable with our faith that we forget how beautiful it really is and i think one of the uh incredible things about stories like yours is just remembering what gifts we really have as catholics and how beautiful eucharist really is and all of the other sacraments and 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 gifts of our faith that uh, we can so easily take for granted. So I've been a convert now uh, 
nine years, I think. And, um, and it's just, it's just been refreshing to me to hear your story. So thank you for that. You're welcome. That's, uh, you know, my whole family converted with me. Um, my daughter was six when we started our RCIA and she turned seven while she was in RCIA and because of COVID and everything, our priest talked to the bishop and kind of went back and forth, but our whole family was able to come in together on Easter vigil. Mm-hmm. And my, my, my son had been baptized. Uh, he's 14 and my two daughters were baptized and then we, we were all confirmed and then we all had first communion. It was just a, a beautiful night. And oh, I, thanks I, be to God. That's, that is yeah, amazing. Day to celebrate. Praise God. So you want to transition to, let's talk about your barbering because I'm, I'm, I think that is such a cool profession and it's one that is increasingly, uh, unusual for men. And I don't think that should be the case, but, but regardless, like fewer and fewer men are choosing to be a barber, but you chose that path. Uh, what attracted you to barbering? Well, um, the short answer is the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Who makes major life decisions based on, you know, old TV shows, but I don't know. Uh, There's a part of me that just wants to have a guitar <laughs> in the front yard yeah. <laughs> on Sundays. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the longer answer is, you know, life is what happens when you're preparing for the next step or making plans for the future. Yes. Uh, and that kind of goes back to what I was to, to the first part of this. Um, I really was pursuing a life in, in ministry and if you'll remember in the book of Acts, I think it's the 18th chapter, tells us that the Apostle Paul was a tent maker. And I remember reading that about that time and thinking, you know, there's something about working with your hands and having the ability to go anywhere and be able to provide for my family. And so I, I, I just had this wasn't ever like a passion or a desire because I can tell you when I first started being a barber, it was not, there weren't hipster barbers yet. I've been like a proto hipster in, in every way imaginable. Um, you know, taking my typewriter to the coffee shop. That wasn't cool when I started. <laughs> I'm joking, I didn't do that. Uh, it was, it was definitely like a grandpa thing when I got into it. It was, it was mainly older guys and, uh, I just thought, well, somebody's got to keep it going. And one thing I tell my kids is you need to find a way to be useful instead of being famous, right? Just look for, look for a spot where somebody's needed and, and try to try to do that. And our little town had one barber and there's like 10,000 people in the county. And I thought, Hey, I bet I could do that. And looking back through the whole process of, of starting a business, sometimes it's scary like I just went out on a limb and did this thing and it's like, well, it worked. So, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Well, in continuing in this direction, I'd love to hear from you just really, you know, what are some staples of uh, being a gentleman and, uh, and, and being groomed and, you know, and having, uh, you know, clean shaven or, you know, well cut. I admitted to you, prior to this episode that it's actually my wife 
uh, who will prod me frequently in my failings of uh, it's time to get a haircut, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I always love it when I get one. But I'd love to hear from you, you know, kind of your inspiration and how the service of of helping, you know, men be groomed has uh, has affected you. Well, when when I first started being a barber <clears throat> in the early 2000s like I said I was in college and it was kind of that whole shaggy haired um, roll out of bed look was pretty popular I remember guys coming to school in their pajama pants Uh, (laughs) and I remember thinking because we had this baby on the way I I remember thinking man I need to set an example and kind of going back to that older TV show um, look at the world I was thinking about, you know, my grandparents' generation. Like, these people always looked the same, always looked put together. They always looked like they had pride in, in their appearance, like they they had prepared themselves to go out into the world and greet the day. And so I, I kind of started out on that, you know, just personally becoming more regular and then just transitioned into the whole barber side of things. But uh, an interesting thing about shaving – um, the Romans gave us shaving. So I don't know how many popes we've had that are clean shaven, but it, if you look at the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they all have these giant beards, right? Yes. Yeah. Long hair. And then our popes always have nice haircuts and they're clean shaven. And his part from the Catholic side of things, there's the ritual of that. And there's also those last of the Roman Empire <laughs> carrying <laughs> on with that part of things. What, so what do you like most about being a barber? I mean, you've been doing it for a long time. Uh, you've gotten your, you've more than gotten your feet wet. You're kind of like a, an expert by now. But what, what are some of the things you love most about barbering? I, I've been a pallbearer at a lot of funerals. You know, I, I've, I've been uh, involved in a lot of different people's lives Hmm. in in the community um, where I'm at in the city council in my town. And just, it's a very public facing job. People get used to seeing you as that. It's kind of become part of my personality in a way. People call me barber, like it's my name and kind of take on that, that community persona because you know, that's how people perceive you. That's what they are, right? So I run into little kids at the store. And I'm becoming that weird guy that carries butterscotch in my pockets so I can get <laughs> <laughs> No, I really don't do that. But, you, you know, they come they come running up to yeah. me like, Barbara Trey, how's it going? You know, and I, I really love that. Yeah. Um, but I really like uh, when young guys start noticing girls, right? And they, mm-hmm. they start wanting to really put themselves together and they start maturing and they start thinking about their appearance and they'll, they'll kind of awkwardly try to explain what they want me to do to their hair or something. And I just kind of try to, you know, think like them for a minute, like what, what's in style? What are, what is he trying to tell me? And then that, that moment when I turn them around in the mirror and they get this little smile on their face, like, yeah, I look good. That's a good yeah. feeling. Right. Because if you if you look good and you know you look good or you feel like you look good, you, you got more confidence, you got all this different thing. So 
um, yeah, just just being a part of the community and being a play, being able to play a part in things like that, and and also, um, it has been a ministry opportunity. Um, I've been in a lot of hospitals uh, where people say, "Hey, can you come give my dad a shave? He's he's about to pass away, you know." Or um, can you can you come up to the hospital and and give him a haircut or the nursing home or something? I've done a lot of that over the years, and I've sat with a lot of people that are right on the edge of eternity, and just the things that they're so vulnerable right there, and the things that they'll they'll tell you because there's only a handful of people in a man's life that he lets touch him. You know, your doctor, your dentist, and your barber is about it, right? And men are vulnerable whenever, you know, I get down, I make sure your sideburns are level, right? And I'm, I'm touching your head. It's a very vulnerable place to be in. And so you, you just kind of naturally open up and start spilling your life to, to somebody that becomes that kind of constant figure. And in some people's lives, I may be the only consistent, constant human interaction that they get. Um, and I don't really take that lightly. It's, it's become that's that's part of the gig too so that's amazing yeah i think that's yeah really moving because it does it adds such um purpose to what you're doing you know and and uh, incarnational purpose right with with other people and um i appreciate you saying that and you also took a moment to talk about sideburns but if i remember correctly that's something floyd could never get right um on Andy Griffith. <laughs> I, I think you're running shtick no. on that show you're wrong on that floyd got it right one of barney's ears was higher than the other ah, <laughs> <laughs> it was an it inch was. from the bottom of the lobe. that's the way that one worked out. that's how it worked too too funny. Well, good. Well, do you use a straight razor? Do you use um, like all of these sort of things? You know, what um, what kind of collection do you have? And then actually, I would even say moving forward to that, what do guys like our listeners or samurai or these sort of things like what should we have on hand to maintain ourselves until we can go to the barber the next time around? Right, right. Well, um, I do use a straight razor at the barber shop. Um, I shave the back of everybody's neck. I use the hot lather, do all that stuff. Um, but I don't really encourage anybody to get a straight razor to use at home. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a reason for that. I actually brought some props with me if you're watching the YouTube video. Awesome. Um, if you're going to have a straight razor, you got to spend some money, right? And maintaining this blade is extremely difficult. Um, you have to first buy a strop right it's usually a leather one um some of them are made out of canvas or linen and there's an art to just knowing how to strop a razor so you have to learn how to do that and you have to do that before and after every shave with a straight razor um now at the shop i didn't bring it with me i use a changeable blade straight razor and some people say that's cheating called a chevette if you really want to shave with a straight razor, that's what I would encourage you to start with because they're a lot less expensive, a lot of consistency on the blade. You can get used to that. And it's it's not nearly as intensive trying to maintain that edge because you just change the blade out when it gets stolen. Another thing, if you've got a fixed blade straight razor, is you got to get a wet stone. 
And I mean, all of this stuff is expensive if you're buying good quality stuff, but it's, it's basically, it's like a piece of marble and they come in grits. And I think that this one's like 7,000 grits. So it feels really smooth, like a piece of marble. Um, the blade on a straight razor is actually fixed um, with the way that the razor is, is shaped. So learning how to do some of that stuff is not extremely difficult, but it again, it's just one more thing that you've got to maintain. And then you've got to get a finishing stone to go with that. So just to get a straight razor and, and maintain it, you're looking at, you know, $150 minimum to, to keep that up. So I got a lot of people say, well, I saw a straight razor on Amazon. It's $15. Well, I'm going to show you the difference here. Um, so oh, good. I saw this one here. And I'm going to ruin the edge of the blade just doing this. Okay. Listen to the difference. If you can hear it. Okay. You hear that little... It makes a little ping, and on my end of things, it's probably yeah, not picking it. up. It's like a bell tone. It's almost got like a, and that's that's the hollow ground in the razor, and that's necessary. You got to have a certain um, type of steel that they use um, to maintain or to to have the strength, but also the softness mixture that necessary to keep that edge. So here's a cheap one, like you would get off of Amazon. Okay. And I call this an RSO. It's a razor-shaped object. But really, <laughs> all it's good for is a letter opener, right? Now, listen to this blade. I don't know if you can hear it or not. Yeah. It's, it's just dead. But yeah, it's, got sure. wolves it on have, it. it's got wolves it, on it. It's got wolves on it. It does have wolves on it. Yeah. So... It's neat as something to put on your desk, but I wouldn't drag it across my face. So if you're going to shave, you're going to classic shave, what I always tell people to get is one yeah. of the classic double-edged yes, yes. razors. And your grandpa had one on his vanity. That's right. And this is a simple three-piece. You know, you take the head off, and there's two different pieces. You drop your double-edged blade in there, and you're ready to go for five or seven shaves, just what, whatever is uh, good for you. And they're, they're relatively inexpensive to get into. You still have the sense of ritual because you can still um, do all of the other things that you do with, with like a straight razor shave and all of the lathers and the, and the hot towels and all that. And we can get into that if you want to here in a minute. Yeah. I brought some of that stuff too. Um, but it's just a lot easier to maintain. And in fact, you can save a lot of money. When you really learn how to use one of these guys, you won't ever go back to a cartridge razor. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I've done it for so long now. I actually got into the classic shaving before I was a barber. And uh, several times I've gone back like, am I just making more out of this than it really is? Like, I'm just going to go buy an electric razor. And I'll shave with it for a month and be like, this is terrible. My face feels like I've got this angry you know, gerbil chewing on it or something, and, you know, <laughs> tears your neck up and it's, it's never a good experience. And then these things here, uh, well, you know, the, the cartridge heads are like $15 for three. Of them. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Where you can buy a whole uh, package of the double edge blades for, you know, 10 bucks. It's enough to last all year. So you want me to go into the uh, kind of the prep, the shave stuff? Oh, yeah, please. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I actually made a couple notes before 
<laughs> we got on here. Um, first, I'll give you a couple recommendations if you want to get into wet shaving. Um, first, you got to buy. First, you got to buy your razor. Obviously, get a double-edged razor. I recommend Mercur, M-E-R-K-U-R, I believe. They make great razors that'll last you. Your your grandkids will find them one of these days, and uh, they're not very expensive, and they look cool. Mine's got this. You know, I don't know if you can see it's kind of this Art Deco look on it. Yeah, very very 1920s looking. Second thing you need is a brush, and I have a tiny little brush, uh, but this is a badger hair brush, and uh, it's called a Wee Scott. So, uh, but you can get badger hair, you can get boar hair, you can get synthetic, and I like all of those for different reasons. Oh, okay. Typically, typically I use the badger because it's softer. Um, but you know, some barbers, depending on you know, like all the Italian barbers use boar hair brushes. Interesting. They don't, they don't like badger hair brushes. Um, but each brush is going to react different to different soaps and how it works and stuff. But do your homework on that. I won't spend too much time on that. But you got to have a brush. And then thirdly, you got to have your soap. I brought several different soaps with me today. This is a semi-hard soap. Okay. It, it's like it's like beef tallow. This is from a, a company called Sterling Soap Company. And they're just up the road for me. They've been there for years. And I just found this out within the past six months or so. Wow. Um, yeah. Actually used their stuff before and didn't know that they were 20 miles up the road from me. Huh. Um, so that's, that's a semi hard. soap. so it freaks people out because when you open it up, it's like, it's a little bit softer than like bar. soap, but it's, yeah. you can't dig it out. So what you do is you wet your brush and you swirl it around on the top of it, okay? Um, if you buy a hard soap, like a puck or something, you know, the old Williams mug shaved soap that you can mm -hmm. still see at the grocery store, you just drop that in a shaving mug and uh, you swirl your brush around on the top of that. Then there's soft soaps, and they're, just like we say, they're soft. You can just get a little bit out of there and put it in your brush. And uh, then there's soft soaps in a tube and there's so many now it, it's it would be difficult to point you in any particular direction but i'll tell you some brands you can't go wrong with yeah great Razzo is like the top barber brand um I, I i've never met anybody that used it that didn't like it it, it may not be the most like prestigious thing out there but you're not going to go wrong with it either that's perazzo um they make pre-shave they make shave cream they make aftershave they make aftershave balm so they've got and, and if you've got a beard they make beard oil too so just whatever you want um then this that i just held up is trumpers this is a little okay. bit higher end stuff uh same company that makes this makes tailors of old bond street which mm -hmm. i mean this has like a like a royal warrant to it they've been making this stuff for like 200 years so obviously they did something right. Um, no, 1875, it says on that day. That's what this is. Too. What, what was the name on that? Trumper. Trumper, G -O, okay. G-O-F Trumper. But Taylor's of Old Bond Street and Trumper are both made by the same 
uh, company. So, all right, now that we've got what we need to shave, I'll kind of go through the process with you real quick. Awesome. So, Let me pull this up, I'm sorry. All right, so number one, it's called wet shaving. So what do you think you might need? Water. Water, <laughs> hot water. And if you've ever seen the old movies, you know, you got the, the hot towels and stuff. You can you can do that at home. Just, just buy a, like a hand towel and just get the water as hot as you can and roll that towel up get it all wet, squeeze a little bit of the water out, leave some of it in there because that's where the steam comes from and hold that on your face for about 30 seconds. Some people say, you know, do it in the morning, do it in the evening. I've done it both ways. I don't really think it makes that much of a difference. Um, but that's your first step. I usually make sure and wash my hands and wash my face before I do that. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I do is I use a pre-shave. This is that, that trumper again, but you can use um, some people even use like pre-shave oil. You've seen some of this stuff, but it's not necessary. Perazzo has a pre-shave cream and that's just something that you put on your face. That when you put the lather on top of it, it's an extra layer of protection for your face because you're about mm -hmm. to drag a knife across it. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so number three is the lather. Now, while you're washing your, your hands and you're steaming your face, you're doing all this stuff. Fill your basin of your sink up with hot water and just drop your shave brush into it. Okay. It, it uh, all these are uh, absorbent to different levels. And so they, they soften up, the bristles soften up, they open up and they hold water in. So when you take your, your brush out of the water, you don't want to shake all the water out of it. All these are things that I've seen people do. Hmm. Get that water in there. That's what builds your ladder. And I wish that I could take you guys to the shop and like show you yeah. how to actually do that. But one day, um, one day, one day, one day. Yeah. So if you're using a soft shave cream, like that's in a tube, you can just squirt it right into the wet brush and you can just go right onto your face. Okay. Some people I've seen them take like an almond sized, and that's usually what you need with a soft soap, like an almond sized amount of soap and just rub it on their face and just go like that. A lot of barbers will make lather in their hand. They'll squirt like an almond-sized um, piece of soap into their hand, and they'll build that lather in their hand and then transfer it to their face or from the brush to their face. So there's a there's hundred different ways to do all that. Right. But the main thing is to build your lather, right? And when you shave, and this is the there's two things I see people do that are going to cause them to have a bad experience. Number one, they use too much pressure. Hmm. It's like Bob Ross said, you just want to imagine a feather brushing across a cloud, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is beard reduction. This is not like the old movies where they stretch the skin out and it's like one swap across and it, all the hair's <laughs> gone. It doesn't work that way. Um, so that's number one. And number two, they, they have a wrong angle. And for those of you watching the, the YouTube video, you're going to have a little bit extra benefit here you almost want this razor to be at this angle rather than this angle Does that makes sense mm -hmm. you want it flatter against your face instead of this really aggressive angle because you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself with that and i'm just gonna tell you right up front you're gonna cut yourself when you're learning how to shave with one of yeah. these. Have either one of you shaved with one of these? I have, yeah. I, I have. And I actually mm -hmm. still do <coughs> occasionally, yeah, yeah. even though I have a glorious 
beard here. Um, now, I, but I actually have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. So, so when I'm like shaving, shaving like my Adam's apple, it yeah. always bleeds, like always, yeah. you know, no matter how Sorry, careful I am. And I'm just wondering, what am I doing wrong? Is there any way you're probably you're you're probably coming in? It's too steep of an angle. Okay, you're, you're probably too aggressive because a lot of people when they're making that line up underneath there, you, it takes more of an aggressive angle to get that kind of sharp line. But yeah, you're going ahead and carrying it down past that. So try rocking your your razor a little bit flatter and pulling the skin off of your Adam's apple. You know uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Pull, pull the skin away and make sure this is another thing. Pay attention to the way that your hair grows. Mm. I usually, when I shave, I usually shave two passes. I lather my face up. I'll shave in one direction, and it's it's with the grain of the hair, right? Then I'll lather it up again, and I'll shave across, never against. I shave across the, so like if your hair grows, and, and you notice it, like if you go up this way, this is against the grain. So this is with the grain. This is across the grain. Yeah. That makes okay. Sense. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Um, Excellent. Then afterwards, you got to do something to your face. You can't just be like grandpa and slap <laughs> hot sauce on there. Rock with Velva, Old Spice. <laughs> old Spice. <yeah. laughs> and it works for a lot of people, but my face looks like, like bright red whenever I use the alcohol-based stuff. Yet again, I use this stuff before and after. And this is the this is called skin food. It's a glycerin based product. Um, but I lean more towards the balms, you know. And there's there's so many of them out there. I don't even know what to tell you to get. But I lean sure. more towards the balms. But before you do that, rinse your face with cold water. Mm. Mm-hmm. Why and cold don't, water? Well, it closes up the pores. Whenever you put the Whenever you put the hot towel on your face, the hair on your Opening face up. is absorbing that steam too. It's softening up the bristles. It opens up the pores. All it loosens up your skin. When you put that cold water on there, it has the opposite effect, right? Excellent. And some people use like witch hazel or some sort of a toner to kind of further facilitate that, kind of get some of the, the soap off their face. Don't ever wipe your face either. You just kind of want to towel dry you know leave a little bit of moisture on there because you just kind of hurt yourself no matter how good you are right yeah for sure yeah how do you take care of your mustache do you have a trimmer or do you use uh, scissors well what's the oh well this is kind of new for me i don't know (laughs) if you pulled my wife off to the side i don't know what she would tell you um (laughs) people have asked me like what are you doing with that thing uh it's like, well, I'm Mark Twain and Eddie Roosevelt are my role models. So uh, just following a good example. But for that, I usually use one of the little, uh, I wish I brought it with me. It's, it, I know this is cheating. You don't want to hear Barbara say mm-hmm. that. But I use a little, <laughs> a little lithium ion battery trimmer. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's actually the same trimmer that I use to go around people's ears and do their necklines with. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're trimming your beard, you guys may know this already. It's best to go down instead of against. Because you remove you remove length, but you still move, you still leave some of that body. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing with the mustache. I'll just get that. I'll just kind of go with the way that the hair grows. And it just gets that that bulk off there, but it still leaves it nice and full. Awesome. Excellent. 
Am I getting too nerdy for y'all? No, no. no this is, <laughs> there's, there's so much art to this, and I love that because, you know, you go to any of these mass mass uh, chains, and it just doesn't feel very artful. It just feels like very formulaic. I am, and I love hearing kind of the art of traditional barbering. There's a lot more involved than um, than just. Uh, you know, uh, give me a number four on the clippers oh, man. And, and we're good, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. If somebody asks me to do that, I mean, obviously I'm not paid to think in some ways, but if you come <laughs> in, if you come into my shop and you say, just, you know, dealer's choice, right? Do what you want. I, I'm kind of default to making everybody look like, you know, a 1940s you know, a gentleman's haircut, right? There's yeah. that, yes, yes. That never that never goes out of style. I mean, you look at a lot of pictures and you, you see hairstyles from the past, and some people look like caricatures. They just look yeah. bizarre. But the classic men's with the with the comb over, you know, nice and neat, it never goes out of style. That's why all that's these, right. you know, that's why people still do it. Yeah. I agree. Well, and I appreciate that. And this, uh, there really is an art form to it. And actually, I know our listeners are going to love it because anytime Sam and I bring on a specialist and then we end up just spending time talking about Catholicism and stuff like that, they're like, well, I was really hoping they would we could get comments. Um, so this is perfect. Uh, you've given exactly what um, our listeners and what Sam and I uh, were hoping for. So, yeah, I'm really- I, I just I got know. a haircut and I want to go get another one now. Let's see. I know. Something right. Yeah, and any guy specialist or not. No, I was I was just gonna add that any guys listening to this, if you haven't gone to a good barber and um and you're the sort of great clip 799 sort of guy, um, like I understand, I understand budgets and everything like that, but you really uh you really should go check out a barber. It's it's a whole different experience. And um, and like Sam was saying, I mean, I recently got one and I I every time I leave. Uh, from an actual barber shop, um, you know, with a guy who knows what he's doing, it's it's a an amazing experience. And so, so this may be an impertinent question, but uh, like, is this like people are listening? I know we got some younger listeners too who might be kind of still trying to figure out what they want to do in life, and and is this like, uh, has this been a good career for you? Is this, you know, provided for your family? Is this something that like you would encourage a young man? Hey, you know, consider barbering as a career path. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, being in a small town, um, you don't, you don't charge as much as you can in some, some bigger places, but you know, I don't have the overhead either. I, I had my own building paid for within five years after opening my shop. Wow. And I've talked to a lot of people and about, you know, opening barbershops and different things. And I tell them that and they're like, wow, really? And I still get people because we've got three kids and and my wife stays home. And they're like, how does your wife stay home? And it's like, well, you know, we don't, we aren't very fancy people. We're simple pleasures kind of people. But um at the end of the day, you you can make a living for your family doing this. And I think the best thing about it as far as like how it works, I get to come home and I eat lunch with my family every day. Mm -hmm. I start I start my day with my family. I come home and I eat lunch with my wife and my kids every day. Um, I'm, I know about when I'm going to get home. And, 
man, you can't put a price tag on that. Um, yeah. for a lot of, for a lot of years, I, I rode a bicycle to my shop for a while. I mean, it's just a, a neat, uh, setup to have, you know, be able to go in and you can make however much money you want to make for that day. And then of course it takes a while. They, they told us in barber college that you need to plan on starving for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking, just kind of preparing. Um, I remember the first day that I went into the shop. I kissed my wife before I left and I said, well, um, pray that God sends people to get haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, okay, all right, I'll do that. And I made like $70 the first day, which this has been like 15 years ago. And before that I had worked at Walmart and done all this different stuff. And so that, that was kind of an improvement from some of the jobs that I had had up to that point. And I was like, Hey, this is going to work. That's you know, right. so, and I think I have about 700 customers now, somewhere wow. like that. Yeah. So wow. it takes it takes more customers than it used to. Um, people don't get haircuts as often as they did even when I first started. And COVID really threw a kink in things because I changed my structure from a walk-in shop to an appointment shop, uh. which um, that has its benefits and drawbacks as well. But I'm a little bit more in control of my schedule and I can make podcasts and go to daily yeah. mass or whatever, you know, but so there's, there's benefits and drawbacks to that, but absolutely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't discourage a young person from, from getting uh, on that path at all. Mm-hmm. Well, we need a resurgence of male, male barbers. Uh, I, I think that would be a, a very welcome development. We do. And part of it, Sam, you being a mental health counselor, um, I, I told John right before you got on, you could probably give me a few, <laughs> a few tips because honestly, there's a lot of guys that they aren't going to go to counseling, right? Right. right. But they're going to talk to somebody that they trust. And like I yep. said, I may be that only consistent person. And if you, yep. if you're a barber, you don't really know what you're signing up for, right? But you're going to have people share what's going on in their life and and you need to be a positive, a positive figure for them and be, be encouraging. Um, and, and um, the, the conversation, I a hundred percent guarantee it is going to be different if it's a male barber, as opposed to a female hairstylist or whatever, Absolutely. where it just changes the atmosphere when it's, it's you know, you've got a shop full of men, the guy cutting your hair is a man. Like it, it changes things. So the whole walk-in dynamic of when my shop was, was a walk-in shop, I would have a shop full of guys. They'd all be talking about whatever. And a mom would walk in with a little, a little boy and everybody would shut down just immediately. You know, conversation mm-hmm. over. Yep. But, you know, and everybody would go, you know, but, you know, another thing that's been strange talking about conversation, um, people bring their cell phones into the barbershop now, whereas before we sat and talked. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, that, that'd be another thing I tell young people. Don't take your cell phone into the barbershop. You might learn something if you if you go <laughs> to the shop and you leave your phone in the car. Yes, I love that. Yeah, I do, too. I think that's great. Well, 
Trey, I really appreciate your time. I'm glad that you were here with us. This has been very enjoyable and informative, and I'm just so grateful that you reached out to us. It was on uh, Sam's mind and mine as well for since the beginning of this podcast uh, to get a barber on, and uh, lo and behold, here we are. So um, i just, uh, yeah, really thankful uh, for your time. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, wonderful. Well, God bless you. And uh, consider changing your last name to Barbara. It would be less confusing. That would... <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, That's no, no. I, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, God bless you in your, in your barbershop. Thank yeah. you. God bless you both. Thank you for what you do again. Thanks, Trey. You're in our prayers. So as we like to end every episode with the reminder. Be a man. Be a saint. God bless.